The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are again. Week number... 62. Episode number... Wow. Yeah. This is episode number 62, and we have an interview, but before we get into the interview, I just wanted to find out what's happening at Narconon. Narconon is busy. Um, you know, it's funny. I, everyone has this false memory of the year earlier. Like, hey, you know, it was so slow before summer. Everyone wants to go out and party and do all these things and enjoy the, you know, um, the typical American summer, which I guess involves getting messed up on drugs and alcohol and spending your Saturday nights by a bonfire and throwing up at three in the morning. <laughs> right. But we've had so many people start recently and actually want to not have that kind of summer and actually spend the summer getting their lives together so that they can have a good rest of their lives. Right. Um, and I think that's really, really great. We had about eight people start in the last two weeks, which is awesome. Wow. And uh, we're, we're really rocking and rolling. It's, uh, it's been great to see, uh, you know, every, this is going to be a good summer for a lot of people who are actually going to, instead of spending their summer getting all messed up and ruining their lives, they're going to spend their summer learning about themselves and changing their lives. That's awesome. I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool to see. Yeah, I think that's great. The interview that we're doing today, I, the, um, it is uh, Diane Stein, and she's the president of Citizens Commission on Human Rights. And I will explain a little bit more about that before I start to interview her. But one of the reasons I invited her to come on the podcast is because, you know, once again, we have a suicide of a celebrity, if you will, that mm -hmm. um, is prescription psychiatric drug related, and that is Kate Spade. And um, Kate uh, was an amazing designer. According to my husband, she ultimately sold her business for like $1.5 billion or something. Whoa. But, um, you know, was being treated for depression, and there you go. That's unbelievable. Uh, yep. And, you know, every time there's a suicide that's, like, in the news about a, a celebrity or, or anything like that, whenever it's a suicide, I, my first reaction is, I'll bet you they were either on or coming off and in withdrawal from some sort of medication. That's right. Same way uh, with the shooting. The same, yeah. Is it, and it's the same thing I go where a celebrity is, like, all of a sudden found dead mysteriously in their hotel or their home, the first thing I think of is the fentanyl overdose, you know, when it comes to that. And so it's just like, it's real sad what's happening to our society because we are just becoming a society that is just full of chemicals and that we love, and we're voluntarily taking them. That's right. And, you know, it's a tragedy to see someone lose their lives over something that could have been so preventable. Yep. Yep. Well, I went, um, I talk, I talk about this with Diane, but I went online because I wanted to look up just, you know, prescription drug overdose information. And this information is a little bit out of date. It's 2005, but it says depressants, opioids, and antidepressants are responsible for more overdose deaths, 45% than cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, and amphetamines combined. That's insane. I know. So that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to have her come on. But I, re I realized what it was. I couldn't remember that I wanted to talk about. And that was 
we we got a really nasty comment on Facebook today, and we we were called ignorant, and I I thought that was fascinating, and um, I believe the upshot of the uh, posting was that we are against uh, medically assisted treatment. And, you know, as we've said many, many times, if, uh, you know, if methadone, suboxone is working for you and you want to be on it for the rest of your life, that's up to you. But that we are going to continue to push for uh, people to be drug-free and alcohol-free. Can I, can, I, can I address everyone that's listening in a, broad, in a broad way? Absolutely. Okay. So anyone that is listening that is for medically assisted treatment or medicine assisted treatment, Joni and I are not telling you you're wrong, but don't you want to be drug free? Don't you want to not have to wake up every morning and take your pills? Don't you not want to be a slave to the clinic? Right. Can you even imagine that that's a possibility for you? And if you can't know that it is, Right. And we're not here knocking what you're doing because we just want to point fingers and say, well, you're wrong for your life choice. Right. Well, you know what? Good for you that you want to get off heroin and or opiates in general. And good for you that you're trying to do something to better your life. And I totally want to validate you for that. But just know that me, Joni and I, let me be grammatically okay. <laughs> Joni and I know that you can be drug free. We know you don't have to be a slave to the clinic. We know you don't have to take Suboxone for the rest of your life. We know that it is entirely possible for you to be drug free. And that's the part that we get passionate about. And that's the, at least me. I mean, that's yep. the part I get passionate about. I know you too, Joni. And we, we, we know that's a possibility for everyone. Yep. But when you have, when you wake up sick every morning and have to take your meds, you don't think it's a possibility. And I get that. Yep. But I've been on, I've been on both sides of this thing. And I know for a fact, you don't have to take that stuff for the rest of your life. You're not wrong for taking it because the reason you're doing it is in fact a way that you think you're saving your own life, but it's not the best way to do it in my opinion because I know it's completely unnecessary. Right. And here's the other thing. So so the person that posted this, um, I would like to reach out to that person if they're going to listen to the podcast again. You never know because he's so much hated everything we, we were doing. But here's my question for that person. If you knew that people could, in fact, be completely drug and alcohol free, would you not want everybody to know about that? Or... Would you want people to still be on some type of medication? If you knew for absolute certainly, certainty that people could live a drug and alcohol-free life, wouldn't you want them to do that? And I challenge that person to, to reach back on Facebook if they listen to this and say, you know, no, I don't want people to be drug-free because that, that would kind of be telling, sort of. Agreed. Totally agreed. <laughs> and you know, I'm the same way. I'm the sim- I have the similar fire and passion about psychiatric medication. I know that Narconon, as an organization, doesn't take a stance on that because we're a drug rehab. Right. However, me personally, 
you know, I know the same way a person doesn't have to take Suboxone methadone for the rest of their life. I know a person isn't going to be happy for the rest of their life stuck on an antidepressant right. or stuck on a mood stabilizer or stuck on a benzo. Right. But well, again, I've been on both sides of that. Yeah. And, and, the, <laughs> I, 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 and I know it's not, it's not necessary. And it's hard that when you're in a life crisis and you go to the doctor and you say, Hey doc, I don't feel good. And this, this, and this, and this is going on. And the doctor says, don't worry. I can fix that. You just take, go take this, go to the pharmacy, fill it, take it like this. And you're going to be fine. I understand how that can seem like a magic cure, a silver bullet or whatever. And I'll tell you anything in life that is a magic cure or a silver bullet is not what it seems. Exactly. Everything has its drawbacks. And if it seems too good to be true and anything that promises to fix you without you doing any kind of effort to fix yourself is too good to be true because there's no medication on this planet that can fix your life other than you taking a proactive approach to figuring out what's wrong. Exactly. I think that's totally true. So let me tell you about Diane. We are interviewing Diane Stein, and she is the president of the Citizens Commission on Human Rights here in Florida. She was originally born in Florida, but then she moved to Georgia as a teenager, and she attended the University of Georgia, where she graduated with honors, and interestingly enough, has a degree in landscape architecture. And she worked at the firm of DJ DeVictor and Langham, and then she worked with clients like Jack Nicklaus and Larry Nelson on major land development and golf course projects. She moved to Clearwater and is married, and she has worked in public relations in the area in Clearwater. And since 2009, she's done, she's worked on a lot of volunteer boards uh, for the Boys and Girls Club. She worked with the Homeless Leadership Board. She is currently the president, as I said, of the Citizens Commission on Human Rights. Now, the Citizens Commission on Human Rights is a nonprofit mental health watchdog responsible for helping to enact more than 150 laws protecting individuals from abusive or coercive practices. CCHR has long fought to restore basic inalienable human rights to the field of mental health, including but not limited to full informed consent regarding the medical legitimacy of psychiatric diagnosis, the risks of psychiatric treatments, the right to all available medical alternatives, and the right to refuse any treatment considered harmful. Now, obviously, this is the addiction podcast, and so our interest is in drugs. And here's kind of how it ties in. People frequently ask if CCHR is of the opinion that no one should ever take psychiatric drugs. But the point is, it doesn't matter what the opinion is. CCHR is dedicated to providing information that the multi-billion dollar psychopharmaceutical industry does not want people to see or know. The real question, therefore, is this. Do people have a right to have all the information about A, the known risks of the drugs and or treatment from unbiased, non-conflicted medical review? B, the medical validity of the diagnosis for which drugs are being prescribed. C, all non-drug options, essentially informed consent. And D, the right to refuse any treatment they consider harmful. So let's talk to Diane. So thank you, Diane Stein, for being on the podcast today. 
You're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm super excited to have you here because, you know, my co-host is Jason Good, and Jason is a former addict, and Jason works at Narcanon Suncoast, and the whole the whole subject of this particular podcast is addiction. And while we have touched on the psychiatric angle and prescription psychiatric medications, we haven't really delved into it. And it's funny because every time we do, we go, well, but that's a whole podcast in itself. Well, here we are today because, you know, that's really why I'm so excited to have you here. And you know, uh, quite coincidentally and very unfortunately, you know, recently we had the death of another major artist, um, Kate Spade, you know, suicide. And I see one of these things and I know hands down that she was on some sort of psychiatric medication. And I, I can't, I just can't stand it. You know, the way that um, the artists in our society are, in, in my opinion, preyed upon by psychiatry and end up addicted to these drugs. So there you go. That's my soapbox. And, that, you know, that's, that's kind of why you're here today. So it is, it is very alarming. You know, the, the one thing that people don't understand is they don't really think with how, um, like a prescription drug being addictive, right? It right. doesn't occur to them. And honestly, um, with specifically with antidepressants, Okay, which is, I think, when, uh, since you brought up suicide, I'm going to stick with antidepressants as the subject matter, okay, um, is it was never meant for long-term use. Antidepressants weren't. When they were first being prescribed, it was viewed that they would be prescribed for two to nine months just to get somebody through a crisis, and then they wouldn't take them anymore. But unfortunately, um, what they didn't anticipate is the fact that um, they had uh, addictive qualities. And because they didn't understand that that could happen or didn't believe that it could happen, um, it was never addressed. And there's no real, it's not like there's a protocol out there to get people off of antidepressants. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Oh, yeah. And in fact, a program like Narconon, which is completely Mm drug-free, can't take someone who is addicted to antidepressants without having them go through a medical detox and be stepped down in the amount of antidepressants mm-hmm. they're taking. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing. I, I hope the people listening understand that you can come in to Narconon shooting up heroin and do a completely drug-free withdrawal in a matter of days. But if you are addicted to an antipsychotic or an antidepressant or what's the other kind, the ones for ADHD or the other kind anyway, mm-hmm. you you can't come into Narconon and do a drug-free withdrawal. You have to go yeah. to a medical detox where they will gradually redu- reduce your dosage. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you guys get this, but that's that's heavy duty to me. You know, those are prescribed drugs by, well, I put doctors in quotes because... <laughs> I have my own opinion on psychiatrists, but but the point is that mm-hmm. those drugs are way more dangerous than probably anything you find on the street, except maybe fentanyl, you know? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you brought up psychiatrists, and yes, you know, they are prescribing physicians. Unfortunately, medical doctors are prescribing more psychiatric drugs than psychiatrists, and they're not being... Uh, 
enlightened on the possible side effects, the possible repercussions, uh, what is it, the, what do you, the, like, repercussions? Repercussions or um, side effects or side effects? Yeah. consequences. Not, the consequences, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the word I'm looking for is consequences that come with these drugs. Right. And in fact, it is so difficult to get people off of antidepressants that the reason why a lot of people are on them long term when they're supposed, they were approved for short-term use, right. is because it's too difficult to get them off the drug. Right. So then these people are staying on them. And if they try to take themselves off, they run the risk of suicide um, and other really dangerous behavior because we're those are the side effects. Right. Not because they're depressed. They're not committing suicide because they're depressed. They're committing suicide or attempting suicide because of the side effects of the medications themselves. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I used to have um, an acquaintance who was a psychiatrist who you may know her, but her name escapes me at the moment. She had been a military psychiatrist and was discharged from the military because she refused to continue to prescribe drugs for the soldiers. And she made this point to me, which has stuck with me. She said, you know, if you take aspirin because you have a heart condition, mm-hmm. aspirin, while it will help the heart, can cause detrimental effects on the stomach mm-hmm. in the form of ulcers or what have you. Antipsychotics and antidepressants are the only drugs that cause a negative side effect on the very part of the body they are supposed to be addressing. Yeah. And it's just insane when you listen to the commercials on TV. I, you know, you listen to the whole ramble that goes on after they talk about Lyrica or what one of those drugs, and it says, "Oh, it can cause suicidal tendencies and increase depression." Anyway, well, it'd be really great if the doctors involved uh, took the time to actually give true, informed, and express consent on prescription medications because they are so addictive. Um, my mother was addicted to prescription medications. And that then in turn uh, became an addiction to psychiatric medication. And it was just an absolute ordeal. And one for one, uh, when I spoke with the doctors involved, they honestly didn't know themselves what the side effects were, or what the adverse reactions to this medication could be. So, you know, it's really important that people are educated. Um, Just because somebody has on a white coat doesn't mean that they know everything they should know about what they're telling you. Exactly. And informed consent, express an informed consent, uh, if done properly, is supposed to give you all the risks, um, all the alternatives to what's being prescribed. And then so you can make an informed choice about whether or not you want to proceed with the drug or the medication that's being offered. And in the case of antidepressants, it's just become a uh, a catch-all for, you know, somebody just not doing well in life. It's like, you're tired? Oh, here's an antidepressant. You're fatigued? Here's an antidepressant. You have premenstrual cramps? Here's an antidepressant. You're having a bad day. Here's an antidepressant. You have a heart condition. I remember when I was working for a marketing company, there was a young man who was prescribed antidepressants because he had a mild heart attack. Yeah. 
Hello, if I had a heart attack, I might get a little bit sad for a moment or a little bit scared, but that doesn't mean you need to give me an antidepressant. Well, here's the interesting thing about that particular scenario is if a middle-aged man presents himself to his primary care physician and during the examination uh, tells the primary care physician that, you know, I'm not sleeping as well as I used to, you know, and I, I, I kind of get sad and I'm not, you know, I'm just not as energetic Nine times out of 10, he's going to get prescribed an antidepressant. But what that medical doctor should do is refer that gentleman to a cardiologist, because I just described the symptoms of early onset heart disease, Mm. which is why people who are labeled mentally ill die 28% younger than the rest of us, because they have untreated medical conditions that are being drugged with antidepressants, antipsychotics, anti-anxiety, mood stabilizers. I mean, the list is just legion. It's huge. Yep. And in fact, we've had a couple different former addicts come on the podcast, and I'm sure there are more, who were started off on the road of drug addiction with prescriptions of Adderall Mm. and, you know, drugs for ADHD or what have you. I mean, Mm -hmm. it, it does set the whole stage for drug addiction down the line. Yeah. So the point you bring up is a point that we've gone over many, many times on this podcast, because not only with um, dangerous painkillers, which are prescribed for Mm -hmm. injuries that are often prescribed more than you need to have or are stronger than you need to take, um, the point being you know, once again, you have to be responsible for your own health and your own body because know that the doctors either A, don't know all of the risks and side effects, or B, they know it and they don't choose to tell you, which, as I mentioned when I was reading your uh, bio, because I was reading about CCHR, and that's one of the things that CCHR is is per, per Uh, working on, I guess you could say, is informed consent that, Mm -hmm. you know, before someone is prescribed antidepressants, I mean, I don't know, if I, I'm a parent, if I took my child into the doctor, because my child seemed down or what have you, and the doctor said to me, well, we can prescribe this antidepressant, but you need to know that the side effect is suicidal tendencies, I would say, thank you very much, I'm out of here. Right. I wouldn't do it, right. do you know? So I have to believe that they don't make it clear what the side effects are. No, they don't. You know, um, and it's interesting because at the Citizens Commission on Human Rights or CCHR, you know, we run into this situation constantly where parents didn't know. They thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were helping their child. And as it turns out, they're not. Right. right? And it's heartbreaking to them. Because as a parent, you want what's best for your kid. And then to find out that the decisions that you've made have turned into an addiction um, or other problems, or heaven forbid the child takes their life, right. um, is beyond imaginable, you know, how distraught these parents can be. So educating the, you know, the general public, if you will, or just us, you know, people out there in general on the subject matter is so incredibly important because, um, there are no, there's no real long-term studies. There's no, they have no idea what being on an antidepressant long-term really does to somebody. There is no data as to what are the long-term effects of a child being on a stimulant such as Ritalin or Adderall. They don't know what the effects are long-term. They just don't know. And that's scary. So do you want your child to be a guinea pig? 
Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, that's what parents. it boils down to, honestly. Yeah. Because once, you know, and people have this false sense of security because they're like, well, it's FDA approved. Okay, well, let's really look at what that means. So like in the case of the antidepressants, they were approved for short-term use, two to nine months, to get somebody through a momentary crisis, knowing full well that actually the passage of time and placebo effect accounted for the change in viewpoint and, you know, emotional response, not even the antidepressant, you know. Right. And But then once it's approved by the FDA, doctors have like a broad stroke of how they will prescribe it. And off-label usage and prescribing, you know, it's very common. So they prescribe away, FDA only approved this, right? So you really have to be educated. Yep, I think Jason, I believe one of Jason's stories was that he had... um, some type of nervous tick or something. Mm -hmm. And when he was young, the doctor wanted to prescribe antipsychotics. And he said, why would I take an antipsychotic? I'm not psychotic. (laughs) And the doctor said, oh, well, this is an off-label use of this drug Mm -hmm. to handle Mm -hmm. this nervous tick or twitch or what have you. Yeah. Amazing. You know, I I decided to research today because, you know, Jason and I talk, you know, over and over again about heroin and opiates and all of that. And I kind of wanted to talk, uh, look up, get some research, because as everybody listening to the podcast knows, I'm not an expert. I'm just really noisy about my opinions. (laughs) And so I wanted to look at prescription drug overdoses. And I found some information. Now, this is a little bit out of date. It's 2005, but I'm going to guess it's worse now. And it says depressants, opioids, and antidepressants are responsible for more overdose deaths 45% than cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, and amphetamines combined. Mm. Okay. So in the United, and it says in the United States, the most deaths used to take place, and we've talked about this before, in inner cities and African-American neighborhoods, but they've now been overtaken by white rural communities. So there you go. Right. Now, granted, this is a little bit out of date, but then I also went, went to two different websites, the American Public Health Association and the National Institute on Drug Abuse, and they said across the United States, 40 people die each day because of overdosing on narcotic prescription medications. The most commonly abused prescription drugs are opioid painkillers, which we know, depressants or medicines to treat anxiety and aid sleep, such as Valium and Xanax, Mm -hmm. stimulants used to treat ADHD, such as Adderall and Ritalin. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's not me saying it. That's research. I Googled it, and there were two major organizations that had that exact same information out there. So it's not just my hobby horse or your hobby horse no not <laughs> at all and if and if you wanted more up-to-date information on that specifically for the state of florida mm-hmm. um you simply have to go to the florida medical examiner's annual report because they do a report every year on the drugs found in deceased persons because x number of people die in florida they do y number of autopsies not everybody who dies gets an autopsy but when they do do an autopsy they do a toxicology report and yes, opioids are uh, ca- causal in a death, you know, found as to be the cause of death in uh, quite a few deaths in the state of Florida. I mean, the numbers are frankly just awful. But right directly behind that are psychiatric medications. Right. And aren't, isn't it true, too, that there's a high senior uh, population in the state of Florida? Mm-hmm. And aren't seniors, I hate to say targeted because it sounds kind of like a conspiracy theory, but that's kind of what I mean. Mm -hmm. Aren't they targeted quite a lot for antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications? 
Well, I, you know, the, the problem with seniors is polypharmacy. These individuals are so drugged. Right. Um, it literally, I mean, you go into any senior's uh, medicine cabinet and you will find multiple prescriptions. It starts out with one and then there's side effects to that. So they give you another, you know, and it, but polypharmacy is not peculiar just to the elderly. Um, as an example, I was recently um, helping to educate a mother whose uh, daughter, 14 year old daughter, um, had become suicidal. And when we traced it all the way back, um, she had been on asthma medication. The adverse reaction to at the ad, uh, asthma medication was actually what she was going through, which was headaches, sleeplessness, and uh, sick to her stomach. Like we're talking CAT scans, MRIs, cancer, you know, whatever, looking for anything to be causing this. They can't find it, so it must be all in her head, right? Mm-hmm. So they started prescribing psychiatric drugs. By the time the mother came to me, this child was on 11 different medications, it, I, it, I, I'm speechless. It's so scary. I, no. yeah, I once Googled Ritalin. This was many, many years ago and found, you know, a woman whose teenager was on seven different psychiatric medications. And I, it made me so ill to my stomach. I, I couldn't Google yeah. it anymore. I didn't want to look at it anymore. I mean, it, yeah. So you're right about that. You know, changing the subject just a little bit, but still very relevant to what we're talking about, and I'd love to get your take on this, is we've had... we had a fellow on the on the podcast, David Aiden. I don't know if you know David. I do. Okay. And one of the things that he talks about, which is, I think, so scary, is the push for the only the only rehab for addicts to be medically assisted rehabs. And interestingly enough to me, and I would never have made this connection, except he happened to go to the convention up in Atlanta or wherever it was, it's psychiatrists that are pushing that mm-hmm. to say that the only, what, what's the word I'm looking for? The only valid therapy, if you will, mm-hmm. for drug rehabilitation is medical assistant or medicine assisted treatment. Mm-hmm. I find that such an interesting push on the part of psychiatry. I'm sorry if that sounds sarcastic. It is sarcastic. <laughs> Well, medication-assisted treatment, or MAT, um, is, quote-unquote, the wave of the future. Mm. And that's what's supposed to help handle the opioid addiction, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's, it's interestingly enough, in that medical examiner report I was telling you about, one of the drugs that they use to get people off of opioids is uh, causing people to die because they're ODing on that. Um, Which one is that? Uh, gosh, uh, buprofen, I think is what it's called. Okay busprofen. It's not Suboxone. It's not Viterol. It's the other one. Okay. Anyways, I can't, some of these things, I don't know how they come up with the names, but pronouncing them is like, (laughs) you know, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It's crazy, (laughs) right? So, um, but medication assisted treatment, Matt, is is a real problem. Um, And you have, interestingly enough on that subject, you have entire drug rehabs um, who are being uh, formed by psychiatrists and by mental health professionals. Um, they promote using the Baker Act in order to get the person help, which is for mental illness, not substance abuse. Substance abuse is not defined as mental illness in the state of Florida. In fact, it's specifically excluded. So trying to you know get as many patients as possible for their facilities, mm-hmm. you know they're just rounding them up. And there's been a push not only to move to medication-assisted treatment exclusively, as, and they call it evidence-based. 
you know, like, it sounds like it's a good thing, you know, it's like, oh, evidence based, right? It's it, no, it's, it's okay. You take the person off this drug and put them on this drug instead, because I can charge you for it. Right. That's exactly right. That's the literal truth. Of it's it, all right? about the money. And so now that they're charging you for it, you know, the evidence is, well, see, look, they're no longer taking heroin, they're taking whatever the medication used for the assisted treatment. Right. And because it changes. Right. Because then they find out they're addictive, then that just becomes something they can get other people off by substituting it for another drug. It's right. just drug substitution. Yes. You know, um, but the the really scary thing, Joni, on um, that whole line of thinking is the idea that somebody who's clean is somebody who's on our drug. Right. And that is so scary yeah. to me. Because the idea of clean should be somebody who is free drug free and yeah. sober i know and that yeah and i that's what david was saying when he went and he was talking to one Ugh. of the psychiatrists who was pushing this whole line of of quote unquote reasoning which is not mm-hmm. very reasonable you know the idea was that someone on methadone on suboxone is is sober and it's it's just it is such a messed up viewpoint, you know, and Absolutely. we take we take flack for it on this podcast. And uh, frankly, we don't care because, you know, it's like if you if you know for a fact that people can be rehabilitated without the use of further drugs, why would you not want that? Why right. would you not want to go in that direction? I mean, it it makes absolutely no sense. And we see it all the time over at Narconon. So, hey. You know, it can be done. And not just Narconon. I remember one time hearing a woman who had literally gotten herself off of psychiatric drugs. And I don't remember how she did it, um, I, but I know that she did it. And it is possible to do it. It's pretty dangerous. And I know she went through hell, if you will, you know, to get it done. Mm-hmm. But she did get done. And so... It's not, it's not just Narconon when I say that. You can actually be drug-free and alcohol-free. And so, you know, the idea that, oh, it's okay to be on Suboxone for the rest of your life, uh, okay. If that's, you know, if that floats your boat, okay. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not drug-free and that's not sober in my book. Do you know? Yeah, I would agree. You know, and it, it is dangerous to, you know, try to get yourself off some of these drugs, specifically psychiatric drugs, which is why, you know, it's like people are never advised to do that on their own. It's like you always should do it under the guidance of a medical doctor. Um, but that does mean if you can be detoxed off something, that means you can then be free of it. Right. right? I mean, inherently in that definition. And so, you know, it's just it's a propaganda it's it's propaganda. Yes. You know, aimed at our society, but you, you have to understand America's like the most drugged country in the world. I know. And that. we're not talking psychi- just, you know, psychiatric drugs or illegal drugs or whatever. It's like drugs in as a whole. We are very very drugged. Um antidepressants, I think one in 5 American adults right now is on an antidepressant. 8 million kids are on psychiatric drugs. I mean, the numbers are just horrifying. And it's, you know, you brought up Kate Spade earlier in this mm-hmm. podcast. And, you know, the, you know, you hear the rallying cry, it's like suicide rates are up by this, that and the other. And it's like, it's because they don't have access to treatment. And, you know, we need more funding for mental health. Trust me, if Kate Spade wanted any kind of treatment in the world, she could have gotten it. Yep. And unfortunately, she was most likely getting it. Yes. And here we are today. 
Um, but what they don't bring up is that the antidepressant rate is also climbing. It has been climbing at alarming rates, I think 65% increase over a, you know just the past few years. It's just alarming. And one of the targets, because you know you're bringing up targeting the elderly. How about menopausal women? Oh, you know, it's what my favorite <laughs> subject right now because women, you know, of a certain age, you go through all of this hormonal change, right? It's like puberty all over again, except worse, right? Because you're just like inappropriately sweating, <laughs> um, just plain hot. <laughs> yeah, but uh, women, menopausal women, are being put on antidepressants by the scores, and wow. that demographic for suicides is just climbing, is just skyrocketing, and you know the correlation between drugs that have side effects such as suicide you know heaven forbid homicide which some of them do okay aggression hostility you know all of the things you know that are just you know so dangerous to our society as a whole to the person and to those around them that the connection is not being looked at is just criminal. It I, really honestly We is. haven't even touched on the shooters. We haven't yeah. even gone in that direction. Oh and well, every just, single one of them is addicted to one of these dangerous drugs. Every well, single one. If if you just if we just stick with the suicides and the antidepressants, we could we could just unravel that whole mystery just right there. If people right. want to know why are teens killing themselves, why are people like Kate Spade, who appears to have everything in the world to live for, killing themselves? Why is the average person, you know, down the road possibly committing suicide right this very minute while we're sitting here talking? Yeah. Well, let's look in their medicine chest. Yep. And that's one of the things I've been actually working with with law enforcement. Enforcement, because law enforcement a lot of times are the first people on the ground looking right. into things. Right. Um, and so educating law enforcement on the side effects of a lot of these drugs. So when um, they're up against an individual who might be uh, behaving erratically and making no sense, like he's perfectly like an amazing husband and father, and now he's locked himself in the bedroom with a gun. Right. And the police are there. What do they do? One of the questions you have, is he taking any drugs? Right. What drugs are you taking? And then knowing the side effects or in an investigation following a suicide or a homicide, what drugs were involved? So we can get to the bottom of it. It's always my first question. Yeah. Every time there's a horrific shooting, I'm always like, what drugs is the guy on? Because the average person doesn't pick up a gun one day and walk into a school and start mm-hmm. shooting or... The average person doesn't wake up in the morning and hang themselves or or commit suicide. It's yeah. not it, it's not how we are, do you know? But these yeah. drugs, they take away a lot of the ability to reason and be logical and sane in one's viewpoints and in one's decisions. And- well, this is the interesting thing about it, right? Because you know, not everybody who commits suicide or who commits an act of violence who's on a drug or not on a drug. It's like there's lots of people who are on drugs who don't do it, right? Right. Right. Well the 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 simple fact is is that uh these more horrific side effects, suicide, homicide, etc are rare, okay, which I forget the exact percentage, but it's like, you know, uh, one in 1,000 or one in 10,000, something like that. So let's just go back to the kids. You have 8 million kids on drugs that have a side effect of violence, hostility, aggression, or homicidal ideation. And you take that rare occurrence figure, 
okay, how many time bombs are walking around? 800 or so? Yeah, out of 8 million? Around. That's a lot, really. It, it, it is, but it's 800 possible school shootings. Or, and, That's right. And people, people, like, you know, they go about the guns, but a lot of these acts of violence, they're not even committed with guns. We're talking machetes, knives, baseball bats. I mean, it's, it's not pecu- – the weapon is not the common denominator. Exactly. You know, the common denominator is the the drug that the person is on. So, you know, and that's a fact. You see, it's known. It's a, This is actually from the pharmaceutical company yep. that produces it and the yep. FDA that approved it to be distributed. Yes, we know that in rare occurrences, one out of a thousand people is going to kill themselves or kill somebody else. Right. And and here's here's my question for the listener. Would you like your child, your husband, your loved one to be that one person? Exactly. That picks up the gun and goes in and shoots a bunch of people or commits suicide. Do you know? Anyway, thank you for being with us today, Diane. This is a completely different perspective, but I think it's super important because we know we've talked about the dangers of the painkillers that get prescribed when you have a broken bone or a strained muscle or a bad back. We've talked about that, but we haven't really talked about the whole scenario with antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines. And I think it's something that people need to be aware of because it's happening too often. When you say yeah. 8 million kids on, you know, drugs for ADHD, I mean, it's just scary. It really is. Yeah, and it it's is. as much of an epidemic as the opioid addiction and yet not getting as much coverage in the uh, newspapers. So possibly overlooked. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me. And anytime you guys have questions, let me know. I'm happy to come back. Awesome. And um, how can people reach you if they have questions about psychiatric drugs? If somebody wanted to reach CCHR to find out more about psychiatric drugs, because we do get a lot of comments on our website, not just about antidepressants, but about other psychiatric drugs where people are addicted or having serious withdrawal trying to get off, they can always call CCHR. Um, we have a 1-800 number, 1-800-782-2878. Good. Give me that again. <laughs> 1-800-782-2878. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diane. <laughs> You're welcome. So I thought that was a really good interview. Um, you know, a lot of it is what we've talked about before, the idea that, you know, you need to be informed before you just randomly take the medications that people, you know, say that you should take. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. No, I was going to say, it's like, well, it's like what I was saying before. It's like, it's very easy to go you know, into a crisis in your life and be told by a doctor, don't worry, I can fix you. Um, I mean, that's the easiest way to end up on, on a psychiatric med. And I can say for myself, you know, there were times in my life my parents took me to our, our regular physician and said, you know, look, I, I, Jason's having this, this, and this problem. And the doctor said, don't worry, I can fix that. Here, go fill this, and he'll be fine. And that's how easy it is to be wooed by psychiatric drugs because they offer a promise of solving an issue in the form of a pill. Right. And that's the mentality that we have to get away from because being a person that works in rehabilitating people um, that have major life problems, I know how much work it takes to get through some of the problems that these guys at Narconon have. And it, it, it translates similarly to a person that's psychiatric issues that just like there's an underlying root cause to an addiction, there's an underlying root cause to most psychiatric situations. 
And, you know, I think if people did a little bit more work figuring that out, rather than being rude by the promise of a cure and a pill, we might start to see a decline of people being, you know, adversely affected by this drug. I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, it was a great perspective. And, um, you know, just a lot of what we've been saying. And I am happy that Diane was able to come on and talk to us. And, you know, she's willing to come back anytime. And I think it's very cool. I think it's a good idea. So me too. And I think it's important for people on the podcast to listen to this. Yep. Because the the most widespread type of addiction treatment involves a psychiatric component. Right. So like a lot of the guys that come or I say guys, I mean men and women, but people that come through Narconon, um, having gone through other treatment centers, they've commonly been placed on several pretty hardcore psychiatric drugs as a part of handling the quote unquote disease right. um, of addiction that they have. And, you know, in your more, you know, and I say this with air quotes, my fingers, traditional treatment, right. uh, you know, they, they are of the firm belief that it is a disease. And part of that's, you know, pinpointing the underlying mental illness and that, you know, a lot of these guys who've been to other programs will come in and say, yeah, I was at this rehab and, you know, I was placed on, Prozac, Zoloft, Seroquel to sleep, Trazodone, Seroquel didn't work, mood stable, Depakote, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it's like, whoa. Well, <laughs> like, I can't, like, a lot of these guys went into rehab and came out on more drugs than they went in on. Well, exactly. And look at the number of people who actually start their whole ju- drug addiction journey on psychiatric medications. I did. I know you I did, and we talked. I was given Ritalin. I was given Ritalin at a really young age. Well, and um, if if anybody recalls the interview that we did with Sandy Winnefeld, you know his son was misdiagnosed with some sort of mental disease and given one of the drugs, and that led him right down the road of addiction and ultimately overdose and demise. Yeah, and it's sad because it's not necessary. Right. But you know, then again, people are offered a pipe dream, and I'm telling you that psychiatric drugs is the first line of defense against you know any kind of situation is not your best option. Now, obviously, anyone out there is listening. What you do is your choice. You know, you're an individual. You're a person. You're going to make your own decisions. Right. But I think you should you should heed our advice in. Before you jump into seriously strong drugs, one, consider do the risks outweigh the benefits. Right. And secondly, is there another solution? Right. And that's the whole thing. Just do your research. Yeah. Yeah, just do your research. And that's the whole thing I read at the very beginning, and that's one of the things that CCHR pushes is informed consent. You know, did the doctor tell you all of the side effects of the medication and the fact that a lot of those medications are not supposed to be taken long term. And did the psychiatrist or doctor who prescribed it, did they tell you that there are natural alternatives? Because we have interviewed Pamela Seafeld, and we know that there are natural alternatives to these drugs. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. informed consent and be an informed patient. That's the bottom line. I agree. <laughs> Had I known, I never would have taken anything that doctor gave me. Well, there you go. Had, had, my, had my parents known, they probably wouldn't have given it. Exactly. Exactly. So. so 
this was a good uh, podcast and we will talk to you again because it's something we need to keep talking about. I agree. And we'll talk next time. Yes, we (laughs) will. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 